Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to yet another episode of Two Developers Down Under. It has been a year, but we are back. And as always, I am here with my interestingly interminable partner in crime, Kai Koenig. Kai, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mark. Good morning from New Zealand. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm in San Francisco. I've actually spending a little bit of time in San Francisco for a while, which is quite nice. Is that the end of the year, stay at home period kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. October, November were pretty crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, thankfully settled and not until end of Feb do things get, well, actually things get still crazy, but I'm not traveling too much first quarter for usually. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, right? Like after after a while, when you've been to a bunch of places over the year, you kind of get sick of traveling, don't you? I find the same, basically. <laughs> I came back from a long trip in early November when I was away for five weeks in one block. And I was like, no, I don't think I want to go anywhere this year. I just stay at home for the rest of the year. Cool. Well, before we get stuck into some stuff, we have to do what happened today. Because if you remember correctly, I know it's been a year, but this is what we do every time. Yeah, vaguely, right? Like, it's been actually more than a year. <laughs> November 2015, I was looking. Uh, so, to the two people who end up listening to this, thank you for still still checking us out. <laughs> so, what, what stuff have you got for today? No, you start because I'm still crazily looking for something cool. <laughs> They're still looking. So, I'm on December the 15th because I live in the past. Um, so, I've got some fun ones. Uh, US formally declares an end to the Iraq War in 2011. Today, it was the fifth okay. anniversary. Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, Gone with the Wind premiered in Atlanta in 1939. Um, I had some other fun stuff in here. Uh, where was it? Uh, where are we? Basketball was invented. 1891. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. thought that was pretty good. U.S. Bill of Rights was ratified uh, in 1791. The birth of mm -hmm. Nero in uh, 37 through 68. So, birth of Nero. Uh, it's his 197th uh, anniversary. So, if you're into your Roman Arab emperors, that is one to keep an eye out for. Okay. Yeah, sure. Why wouldn't we? Yeah. Uh, Nero's, Nero's, you know, he, he is a, you know, a cool Roman emperor if you're into psychopaths who like to let the city burn. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I found a few interesting got? things for December 16, which is like the day here at this point in time. In 1850, um, the first Canterbury pilgrims arrived in Littleton in New Zealand. What is a Canterbury ship. pilgrim? Um, let me look that up. It's members. Ah, okay. Uh, that makes sense. So it's members of the Canterbury Association, which was founded in London in 1848. Um, and it's all centered around the Church of England, Archbishop of, uh, Bishop of Canterbury, blah, 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 blah. And they sent... Canterbury pilgrims to New Zealand to after the that association acquired land in New Zealand and they sent basically people there to I guess missionary the you know unfaithful or something like that no idea sounds like something I have no interest in unfortunately but I'm sure it's fascinating to other people yeah interesting and the other thing I found interesting as well is um, 
1937, two guys, Theodore Cole and Ralph Rowe, attempt to escape from the American federal, federal prison on Alcatraz. Neither of them is ever seen again. So they must That's have cool. made it out. Local not news. People, yeah, not people made it out of Alcatraz, right? Of no, money. there was like a whole swimming thing and sharks and cold water and stuff. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and a lot of the other things that I can find for today are either rather depressive or quite uninteresting. Fair enough. So, it's been a year. What have you been up to? Um, oh, God, where to start? Many things. <laughs> <laughs> so, should we go chronologically through the year or do we just want to, like, kind of come up with a summary kind of thing? Just just riff. What you, what's, what's been fascinating? What are, you, what are you enjoying at the moment? What tech are you playing with? What I'm enjoying massively is Kotlin. And yeah. Tell me actually. Yeah. Much, tell me. Tell me more about much Kotlin. A thing, yeah, it's pretty much a thing since you know, early 2016 when I started playing with that a bit more because it came, became a bit more mainstream. So Kotlin is a language from uh, the guys at JetBrains who do yep. IntelliJ and you know Android Studio or the core of Android Studio at least, and it's aim is to be a better Java than Java is, which is not really hard, to be honest. You know? <laughs> it's, it's at least a noble goal because Java has become such a shithouse of a language in some, in some aspects. And so the idea is it's statically typed, runs on the JVM, and it works. It's very easy to migrate to, but it gives you really superior features like a proper handling of you know, null values. You can explicitly say something is null or can't be null. You have um, uh, immutable, vari- uh, immutable fields, immutable data in Kotlin, nice. and you don't have to you know, fiddle around with static final, God knows what, and then it's still not properly, properly immutable. And the nicest thing it actually does from a practical point of view, I personally think, is it compiles down to Java 6 bytecode which means you can run it on a Java 6 JVM, which also means you can use it for Android development really well. You know, if you want to have stuff like lambdas and all those modern language features that Java only gives you from, I don't know, 7 or 8 onwards, but you can't eight. use that. Yeah, I mean, lambdas in 8, but there are other things that came with 7, basically. Um, and you can't use them because you're tied to <laughs> pretty much writing code for Java 6 if you want to run on Android 4 at least and even on some Android 5 versions, um, then that's a really good option, basically, because it gives you all those language features. So quite a few just people having, in the... Hmm? I'm just having a look at it now. I'm, I'm checking yeah. through it. Quite, quite a few people in the Android community have picked up on it um, and use it more and more for app development, and that's really cool and interesting to see. And I got more into it again after earlier this year, basically, after they kind of got closer to a 1.0 release. I looked at it like, I know, two, three years ago and played with it a little bit. But back then it was like 0.5, 0.6 and really unstable and totally in flux. Um, but then in February or March, 1.0 came out. And since then, it's on a really, really good track. So currently there's a release candidate for 1.1 that brings a bunch of new features. And I've used it for some backend coding, actually, um, at some point this year. And I've used it for some Android stuff. I'm currently building a new app from scratch with Kotlin, 
which is really fun and pleasurable to do. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy with it. I'm just checking through this. It's kind of this is interesting. I'm just looking through like what it's got in terms of oh, it's got some. So it's like a pretty standard Java type class system, from what I understand mm-hmm. and from what I'm looking at. But it also has delegation as well, which looks like kind of a variation on like type classes or like traits or um, yeah, and the sort other of thing, type um, things, which is kind of interesting. The other thing that it's really good for is to create um, custom DSLs. It's kind of really amazing how easy it is to to come up with a DSL for, um, I don't know, let's say, a UI language. And there is a uh, quite well-known Android UI or Android framework for Kotlin called Anko, and that has its own layout DSL. So you can essentially, you know, I don't know if you've ever played with Android, actually, but like in an Android app, you've got like your layout file, and that's usually that loaded XML with, you mm-hmm. know, like yep. text input field and all that crap, basically. Um, and Enco allows you to write that layout code in a really nice type-safe DSL. So it looks like it's much shorter, much more concise, because they make intelligent assumptions on certain things. Um, but also... So is that is that being done through some sort of like missing method handler or proxy or... It's basically done with a technology called type-safe builders, you know, like builders and Groovy, mm-hmm. kind of. And that that um, builder concept is used in Kotlin, but they become oh, type safe because the whole type system behind it can check all that stuff essentially. And what they, what Anko does is they essentially grab the um, Android jar from an SDK and build the DSL based on that Android jar with all the properties and all the all the methods and everything in there. Interesting. Are there like web frameworks for this as well, or is it yeah. more Android focused? No, there are web frameworks for that. I haven't had a look into that yet, like building a complete web app. But I used it to write a library for um, some Chrome push payload encryption thing recently. Look, you know, when you want to do Chrome push notifications into a website through um, GCM or through, uh, what is that thing you migrate to, Firebase Cloud Messaging or whatever it's called? Yeah, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. Um, And you basically can do that into Chrome, but the payload has to be encrypted to stick to some whatever standard, essentially. And I wrote a library for that in, 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 in Kotlin. And just instead of writing it in Java, just, you know, for to see like how, how well it works for that. And it's really straightforward because you end up having a jar file um, with your Kotlin classes. So it compiles down to Java bytecode, essentially. And it's a really nice and easy integration. So let me, let me ask this question. So say you've assumed you're going to work on the JVM, and so you have the whole slew of Java through to, I don't know, pick a language. It's Java through Groovy, through Kotlin, through Closure through JRuby through uh, CFML. A, if you really want. <laughs> yeah, let's. No, I'm just thinking like just a pure language implementation, right? What makes you choose Kotlin over, say, something else? Is there is there something that makes it jump out of that that whole ecosystem? Um, I would say it's easy to learn if you come from Java. You know, you're not having to deal with a totally different language sure. philosophy like 
Closure, for example, or Frege or something like that. Even, <laughs> yeah, that's, even, a, that's a big jump. Yeah, but I, I mean, even Scala is, you know, kind of an interesting jump if you're purely coming from Java, right? So it's quite different. Um, so that that's easy. I, I pretty, I, I would say, like, you know, if you're a Java developer who has done nothing else but Java or like C plus plus or any of those kind of languages in the past, I would say you can pick up Kotlin and become productive with it in a day or two. It's really that straightforward, you know. It's like not rocket science. Obviously, you wouldn't be able to use all the language metaphors and all the language concepts after a day or two. It would come with time. But you know, to write code that is actually good enough to be used in a in a project or in production, yeah, that's super easy for a Java developer. The other the other thing that um, I do like is that it has a static type system because I'm a big fan of static type systems, and then it is supported by JetBrains. That particularly, um, what that leads to is it has really, really good IDE integration into IntelliJ. I mean, there is an Eclipse plugin for Kotlin. I have no idea how well that works. I don't care, to be honest. Mm. It's not <laughs> really my thing. I think there is something for NetBeans as well, but again, I don't, couldn't care less, really. I mean, it works awesome in IntelliJ, and that's you know what I'm happy with essentially. And I guess the other thing that I like is if you have a project where you want to mix existing Java code with Kotlin code, that is like super easy. Yeah, I'm actually just looking at the the interrupt. The interrupt looks pretty straightforward, which I think is really important for any language that sort of runs on the JVM. Yeah, it is. And, you know, particularly if you introduce a new language into an existing code base, you know, let it be on the back end or in Android, you want to be able potentially at least to do that step by step. And um, in in Android, it kind of especially if you live in the uh, monolith world. Yeah, and I mean, in, the thing is, in Android, it kind of lends itself to swapping out activities, data, step by step. That you basically say, you know what, I rewrite this activity or I write this new activity in Kotlin, and then it will still work just nicely with the rest of your project. Oh, so you could, in theory, do part of your Android project in Kotlin and part in Java. Yeah, totally. Yeah, neat. And I know people who do that. Actually, I've got I've got friends who work for a company here in Wellington, and they are an Android shop, an Android app development shop, more or less. And they recently started to use Kotlin, and they basically started in one app by swapping the model and data layer out against Kotlin code, just to see you know how that works and get a feeling for it before they actually do anything, anything you know a big. A, a bit bigger on the UI or on the actual actual application framework level. Mm. I have written a total of one Android app. It was fine. <laughs> it, it's different, right? I mean, you know, when I when I started getting into that like a while ago, it's it's how can I say that? You know, when you come from a backend from a lifetime of backend coding, yeah. You've done some UI things with Flash and Flex and JavaScript and that kind of stuff. It is a very different experience of doing things. And it can be really quirky. I mean, you know, like it takes a while until you figured out the the life cycle of of your app or of an activity or of a fragment and all that kind of stuff. But after a while it starts to make sense, or <laughs> at least you you know, you accept that some things just don't make sense. <laughs> <And you laughs> live with it. So so I recently bought um 
the this like the smallest smartphone it, it says it's the smallest smartphone in the world it's the posh micro mobile x um it is i'll send you a link actually i'll put the i'll put the link in here it's hilarious so i bought this simply because it's ridiculous um it's probably the length of one of my fingers uh okay <laughs> it's it's like what, the resolution is something like 200 by 400 like it's ridiculously small uh, but it's oh, a wow. fully running kit kat android phone uh it can play music uh, you can do stuff with it. So I'm I'm still working out what I want to do with it. And I feel like I'm going to end up writing some Android apps on it uh, simply for ridiculously stupid demos. But wh- why? What's the, what's the use case of that phone? Um, so actually, one of my teammates uses it. Uh, what she actually does is she has... Um, actually, I don't know if she does it this way, but it, this is the way it kind of works really nicely. Is She has a... I, I think it works this way. I'm going to say she does. She has a Google Fi plan... She puts her fire in that phone for making phone calls and mm-hmm. basically that's it. And then she does everything else that's data related on a tablet. So oh. that is her that is her phone for that. She can play music on it. It actually makes a really decent music player. It makes a really decent uh, like remote if you want one for a TV, if it, the remote app works on that tiny resolution, which some of them do or don't. Um, and you can still kind of use it. It works to a degree, um, but just the tininess of it, and it's super cute. Um, so I'm like, <laughs> I just want to open up Android Studio and just be like, yes, I would like a, a, a setup for a KitKat 4.4 with a resolution of like 200 by 400. <laughs> Just the fact that you have to write for KitKat that, you know, makes me kind of vomit internally and having to swallow my vomit. Ugh. But it works. Like, and you put in it, like, here's the hilarious thing, right? So first of all, removable SIM that you can pop in and out, removable SD card you can pop in and out. It has a headphone. It has all these features that you can't get on so many other phones. Like, I don't know, up-to-date iPhones. <laughs> what do you mean removable SIM card? Sure, like iPhones and like modern Android phones have removable no, SIM No, I mean, cards. I can I can pop it in from the side. Like, it's literally like, I don't have to open the back. I can just slot oh, it in. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, huh. okay, that's interesting. Yeah, they're super cute, and like you can, you know, it's it's a nice little thing. So anyway, they're like fifty bucks too. So it wasn't it wasn't like I was spending stacks of money on it. So it's sitting on my desk now. I'm trying to work out exactly. I feel like right. what I want to do is build some sort of crazy demo that like explodes or sets off a million servers, and I'm just gonna have this button on this little tiny pink phone, and I'm gonna press it, and it's gonna make everything start. You know what you should get then is like um, you should get one of those Amazon button things that you can actually. Uh, buy from yeah. them, which has like which which is linked to a product normally, right? Because you can actually hack that button, and essentially you can trigger any action or any link with it. So you get an Amazon so button, tie it to some some awesome me. Google Cloud demo, basically, and demonstrate how you can you know Amazon's own hardware to you know beat them on their own game. <laughs> Hardware stuff scares me. I've got plenty of teammates who do hardware stuff, so I'm perfectly happy in the fr- in the in the software space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bought the um, the Google Pixel. Uh, oh yeah, ago. yeah, you yeah, like I it? love it. Yeah, it's a. I think it's the best Android phone you can get out there currently. I've got a six P. I haven't upgraded mainly because I get my work mine through work, and I haven't really got onto it yet. But uh, I may end up doing some daydream stuff in the near future, so I I, I will probably need to get some Pixels. I was I was thinking about getting Daydream headset as well. Actually, I played with it the other day on our local Android meetup. One guy had one oh, yeah. and bought it. What do you think? I haven't um, had a chance to play with it actually. Well, I mean, it's clearly not as you know not as comparable or good as like PlayStation VR or Oculus Rift or anything like that. But for what it is, it is really good, and um, I find it kind of 
promising that there are like 40-odd Daydream apps already out there. And I think Google said like initially there should be 50 by Christmas or 50 by the end of the year or something like that in the App Store or in the Play Store. Yeah. So it's not... It's on the Go. way there. It's not quite there. But, you know, like some of the apps are actually really cool and interesting to play with. Yeah, I mean, um, I was I was really happy to see how quickly Unreal and Unity were like, we support Daydream, done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it is it is a outside of maybe even the PlayStation 1. It's sort of the one thing that you can be like, hey, here's a commodity VR experience that you can go and get right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that, other things is, require so much hardware. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. You know, it's like very easily accessible for everyone, provided you have a phone, like a Daydream compatible phone, yep. which currently is, I think, the Pixel and one Samsung phone or something, or one HTC phone. I can't remember. Not if sure. It is a second. But it's, well, I mean, it's very, very limited at this stage. Yeah, I actually like the fact they have a controller too. So I'm, I'm, I want to play mm. with that. I've got some ideas for some games based based on using that controller. Um, he- since we're heading down the VR hole, I got to play with uh, Hololens a little while ago. Okay, mm-hmm. that is very expensive, but that is very exciting. Um, it's a single unit, so they're like three grand, something ridiculous. Um, for the developer kits, but it's a single unit that runs Windows 10 inside it. It has no wires. You put it on, and it is a really good um, augmented reality experience. Is it kind of like a backpack with running? Nope, nope, nope. It is literally a thing that you put on your head. It is, I mean, there's, okay. and it's not even that heavy, actually. It's really impressive. Um, I, and it uh, does, like, crazy stuff where it'll map the room you're in and the space you're in. Um, I've seen okay. some presentations on that, too, and it's really cool. Um, so if you – I was playing a game where things would come out of your walls, like it would draw cracks on the walls and you had to shoot mm-hmm. them using hand gestures and very seamless. I could play it anywhere. I don't have to, like, move furniture. Uh, I'm actually probably more excited about augmented reality than virtual reality, to be completely frank. I think it's, I think it's far more exciting. So how's your Pokemon collecting going? I haven't played in ages, actually. I still play. You still play? Excellent, yeah. excellent. Because it runs it, on us, so yay. It's kind of like, um, you know, I, I have to be honest. Like, I, I wouldn't if it didn't fit that nicely into my lifestyle because I go for like a, either a very fast walk or a run every day for like 5, 6K. Yeah. So I just do it while I'm out there anyway. Um, but the lack of innovation in the game or the lack of, you know, second generation Pokemon has kind of like turned it, turned me off a little bit. It's like, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, I think it's they've getting got, a bit old. They've got more stuff coming, um, but I have no idea. Uh, it's still running. People still using it. People still, still playing it. Um, that's all I know. I haven't played it in forever. I've got teammates that still play it to the point where, where they won't go on walks if they don't have their Pokemon stuff with them. Like they've got the wristbands and everything. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I bought like an uh, I bought an Apple Watch um, a few months ago, and I'm waiting for like a Pokemon Go app for the Apple Watch that would be kind of convenient. But yeah, I do remember the days, especially here in San Francisco, because it's such a densely packed city, um, and we had so many Pokestops everywhere where mm. you'd go out at night, and there would just be hordes of people playing po- Pokemon Go. Like yeah. it was it was an insane hype. Um, it's really, really, it's kind of an interesting cross section of enough brand recognition to make it popular for the mainstream and a simple enough gameplay that people could pick it up really easily that I think it just kind of hit this sweet spot of, of stuff yeah. that people wanted to play. The problem now is, though, like, you know, the gameplay has become too lightweight to, for actual Pokemon fans. 
And pe- I mean, now people are back to playing on the 3DS currently because there are two new Pokemon games that came out like last month, like um, Sun and Moon, the seventh generation game. So I think a lot of people who are hardcore Pokemon fans are now really disappointed that Pokemon Go is just so, you know, yeah. So that's an interesting Venn diagram, isn't it? Like there's the, there's the p- hardcore Pokemon fans and then there's the people who play Pokemon Go, which I expect is probably far larger than that one. Oh, um, yeah. And how, how, much, how much that, that actually overlaps mm. uh, is an interesting question. Yeah, and I think it would be very different in different countries and different markets. You know, look at Japan. When have you ever been to Japan? I, don't know, I can't remember. I haven't, haven't. It's on my list. Oh my god! That's yeah. I so need to get there. That's the, if, that's like the next you, major place I want to go. If you just take a suburban train during the day in in Japan, like a ten minute train ride, you pretty much see most likely about fifty people from all generations, like you know, kids and teenagers up to grannies and grandpas playing on the Nintendo 3DS in in the train, and you would think, or I'm pretty sure a lot of people, a lot of older people, where you wouldn't expect it in Japan, play Pokemon. So, you know, in that market, that cross-section would be probably way larger than it is, for example, in Aussie or New Zealand, you know, where that whole Japanese manga Pokemon culture is not that widespread. So, since I know you're a huge 3DS player, what's your opinions on the Nintendo Switch? Oh, Awesome. I'm so Since we're gonna, going down this this gaming yeah, rabbit hole, which I'm totally I, I'm, okay with, I'm so gonna get one on day one, basically. Yeah, you're yeah. in. I mean, I have I have more than a few people I know who are like who who are like professionals, kind of our age, especially those that travel a lot, mm-hmm. and they're like, "This was made for me." Yeah, correct. Exactly, exactly right. Okay, I, good to know. I, I All right, I'll let you get one. You can tell me how it is. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you know, initially they only released, um, they only released Zelda or announced Zelda for it, like that new Zelda game that I yep. think is out for the Wii U at some point next year, and then it will be out for the Switch as a release title. But about last month, when they did like more infos and more announcements um, around the Switch, they basically provided a list of games. You know, there will be a Mario Kart and there will be, you know, a bunch of other games that kind of really um, are compelling, like um, Splatoon for the, for the Switch, for example. I know if you ever mm-hmm. played Splatoon on the Wii U, but it's an awesome, fun game. I never played Wii U. PC gamer all the way. Oh, uh, yeah, true. Oh, Linux gamer, actually, not PC gamer. <laughs> no, I have, a, I, have a, I have a machine that runs Windows and it is for playing games. That is Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so, I mean, totally you know, in, in a nutshell, the Switch is going to be awesome for me for my purpose what i'm not sure about though is like are we getting two in this household or just one right because that's going to be interesting because we both have a 3ds currently and we both have a ds as well so given that the switch is a transportable console it's still some personal thing really well if you go traveling and diane still wants to play like what are you going to do yeah that, that will be the first issue right but if we are both at home then we have two switches here. Like, which one is connected to the TV then? Or do we need, like, you know, a second TV? You need or... two TVs. Clearly, yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> that's how, how, totally how the I, answer. How could I not see that? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, that's an interesting thing. Like, you know, it's kind of, it's a bit more than only a personal handheld console. 
like the DS was. It is that hybrid of a stationary and a mm. handheld console, and I think that will be an interesting dis- dis- interesting to see like how many people buy one or two or three for their household, depending on if you have kids and stuff like that, or if it becomes like the family console and maybe dad or mom are taking them away when they travel or something like that. I don't know. Don't know. All right, so enough enough of the uh, the people for people who don't play games. Uh, what other fun stuff have you been playing with? Anything this exciting? year? Yeah, it's been a year. No, well, I'm yeah, I'm still doing a lot of CFML work, and for my main client in that interesting industry. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't see you at CF Objective this year. I was there. Yeah, I didn't go to CF Objective for a variety of reasons. Um, and one of the reasons was I went to um, to DroidCon in Berlin and oh, yeah. did a talk there about Kotlin. And that kind of overlapped itself. And the other problem was that um, the CF Objective conference kind of came back very, very late with uh, speaker confirmations. And by that oh, time, yeah. I had already agreed to to DroidCon and said like, yeah, sorry, no, I can't. It's fair enough. Late. It's fair enough. Yeah. It was, uh, it was very interesting. I probably haven't seen a lot of those people in about five years. Uh, but <laughs> it was fun at least. Um, but it's good to see a lot of the old guy, but it's, it's, um, it's always interesting. I run into cold fusion people over the place. I ran into like Dan Wilson. I ran into Ray Camden. Uh, I saw them in Atlanta recently, uh, for, for a web conference I was at, uh, I ran into various people, all over the shop, which is always always good fun. Hmm, okay. That's a small world. We're all in it. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right. What fun stuff have I been up to? Oh, it's been a year. Yeah, that would be interesting. Fun stuff. <laughs> uh, where do you want to start? So probably the biggest thing for me actually has been, yeah, I've been shifting my focus uh, more and more to the gaming industry, which is lots of fun. Um. And even deeper than that, shifting more into the multiplayer side of the gaming industry. Uh, that's been really interesting because it's mm-hmm. very, very different from um, what we normally do as, as usual server or DevOpsy backends. Mm-hmm. And there are different, there are way different trade-offs. Um, yeah, you know, 16 milliseconds either way actually matters on an FPS. Like mm, that stuff, yeah. that stuff matters. Um, so it's been, that's been really cool. It's been, um, uh, you know, sort of from from my background, I've always kind of, I've, I don't know about always, I've dabbled a little in the game dev side of things more and like trying some front end stuff. Um, I, I had some posts I did a while ago about writing some games in Clojure, which I'm yeah, I remember not going to continue. Yeah. yeah, I'm not continuing that because Unity is far too good. <laughs> Unity is just insane. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been really interesting, and that's sort of dovetailed into the other stuff I've been working on, like in terms of Kubernetes and containers, which we can talk about as well, as well as some of the microservice stuff I've been working on too, which is sort of gRPC and, and some of the stuff there as well, because that's got some interesting streaming capabilities. What, what would grab your fancy the most, Kai? What do you want to talk about? I, got, I, got, I don't know. It's my job um, to work in a bunch of different things. Um, I'll let you drive because talk about I can talk Unity about a little bit and like you know. So Unity is interesting. So if anyone hasn't worked in uh, developing the 3D games or 2D games, Unity is actually a really interesting platform. They're sort of the 
one one of the I would say the two biggest it's either Unity Unreal, but un, uh, Unity really sort of hits the mark in terms of democratizing the game development space. So it's an editor and an engine uh, that gives you a lot of tools out of the box for building games, including physics, networking, uh, asset management. Um, they have a bunch of online services to help too, as well as a huge amount of third party ecosystems, marketplaces for assets. You name it, you know, you can kind of find it. Um, which means that if you're building a game, you don't have to do a lot of the heavy lifting, which is fantastic. And you can really kind of concentrate on your game, which is good. Um, generally, people write it in C Sharp. C Sharp's okay, it's fine. Um, and you can kind of kind of hack on that through there. So I've dabbled a bit. I mean, I've been working my way through the Unity uh, tutorials. I, I've been digging more into their multiplayer stuff, and it's something I want to dig into further. I've got some experiments I want to do in that space. Um, They've got some higher level APIs that allow you to do multiplayer type things for uh, sort of real time FPS, so first person shooters, stuff that's really quick, um, as well as doing all sorts of other stuff around that that look really nice. Um, I haven't mm -hmm. taken them quite for a spin. Um, and they also have some other services uh, around that to make certain things easier there too. Um, and so I want to I want to play with that. Um, so the interesting thing, okay, so here we go. This this will get interesting. So. Unity, Unity's networking model is really interesting in that the way it usually works, and this is both a pro and a con, um, is that it's kind of the old school in some ways uh, networking model. So if you'd write your, the way they do it, you kind of intermingle your host and your client code a little bit together um, just because that's the way it works and they can do some security stuff that makes things a bit easier. But what would it be is if I want to play a network game, what I usually do is I fire up the game and say, hey, I want to start this network game. And so that fires up a host sort of locally. I'm running the host. Mm -hmm. uh, and then clients then connect to that host, which is kind of where I am. And, and there's there's ways of doing lobbying and stuff like that. Um, and that's okay. What they also do is, so the services that Unity provide is they provide relays uh, so that NAT traversal and going around networks and stuff like that uh, makes that a lot easier, right? So if I'm trying to hit your IP and you're behind a firewall or you're behind some kind of NAT um, where this needs to be network sort of uh, traversing, that happens, they kind of take care of that for you. Mm -hmm. But what you can do as well, at least from all my research, is you can run instances of Unity in the cloud and then sort of point at those and have have that game engine running in the cloud essentially as a server. And that's that's pretty mm -hmm. common across engines, which is pretty cool. Um, so the stuff that I'm looking at playing with recently, um, a little sneak peek, is I want to take uh, that sort of stuff and put it inside software containers, something like Docker, um, and then orchestrate it on top of something like Kubernetes, uh, which is a Docker orchestration or a container. I should say a container orchestration solution because it's pluggable. Mm -hmm. um, and that has some interesting ramifications as well. But the idea of being able to say, okay, here's my server, um, and there's a variety of ways you can you can hook that up to uh, your players depending on what sort of game you're making and what sort of trade-offs you want to make in terms of latency and whatnot. Um, but being able to orchestrate that in the cloud so that you can do that, you know, build around matchmaking, make that, make that easier, um, which affects also things like how you process whether people are cheating. Um, and this is probably something you may or may not have sort of thought about, like as an Android developer, like you can't trust the client, mm -hmm. even even as web developers, like you can't trust the client. And that's especially true for games as well, because people will cheat. Oh, yeah, uh, totally. So, yeah. um, I mean, look at the example of Pokemon Go, for, for instance, right? Like people yep. trying to change their location to get certain Pokemon or to, you know, go to certain gyms or Pokestops and shit like that. And 
I think um, you know the Pokemon company and Niantic put good effort into stopping that, but it's hard, right? Yep. Because if you can put your phone into any location, what can you do, right? Yeah, um, I have to shut my mouth here. <laughs> so Pokemon Go runs on Google Cloud Platform, and I know way more stuff about that than I should. Um, or not that uh, I should, that, 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 that I can that, talk publicly about. That, that's but. fair enough. You know, I mean, some <laughs> things they, they're doing to prevent cheating from happening yes. have made it to the surface, obviously, right? That they're doing stuff like they, that they check how far you traveled in which amount of time, you know, that you can't make it from New Zealand to San Francisco in like two minutes, stuff like that. That all makes sense to me, and I'm pretty sure there is more technology stuff going on behind the scenes that's trying to stop that. But you know, I I know that people still manage to get around that. Yeah, I'm I'm literally pulling up blog posts so I make sure I don't say anything I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's and it is and it's sort of an interesting trade off too. Like uh, talking to say other companies about. You know, this is the way we build our network, and they'll be like, "Oh, you know, we go off to this metadata server over here, and it changes how the gameplay happens and stuff like that, or or something along those sort of lines." And you're like, "Well, couldn't someone sort of change their gameplay experience on the fly? You know, because they could man in the middle of that using some proxies mm-hmm. or something like that if they really wanted to." And they're sort of like, and so often sometimes the game companies are like, "Yeah, they could do that, but all it's going to affect is their game experience, so we don't care." Mm-hmm. That's not something we're gonna we're gonna try and lock down, uh, but something like high scores, right? That all gets calculated on a server, so the server is authoritative. The client never cares about anything, you know. Something like that's very important. Um, so it's, it is just an interesting set of trade offs that way. Yeah, that's it is interesting. Um, I think you know not only in games though you what you would want to you know be in a scenario where you say like the. The server has to be in charge. I mean, even in normal applications, let's say, I don't know, something like a note-taking application with a subscription service or God knows what, you know, you want to make sure that the user can't cheat you, obviously, right? So that that's an interesting one too because right, for that, I actually think it's less important because generally speaking, you're probably logging in through OAuth, right? So you have a personal login to your account. Mm-hmm. As long as, okay, so assuming OAuth is secure, and I think we can make that assumption, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Once I'm logged in with OAuth, what do you care if I change all my notes using my own, accessing your APIs versus the Android app? Like, all I'm going to be doing is changing my data, right? The trade-offs don't really care. There's not there's not a yeah. huge amount of point and effort in trying to say, oh, I want to make sure that this happens through this Android app and only this Android app, unless, you know... You're someone like uh, Amazon Prime Video, and they won't let us run, you know, Prime Video on Android TV because reasons. Yeah, that is that is fair enough. But you probably would care if you had, I don't know, a an app with a paid feature that you only get in certain circumstances, and yeah, your app, you know, would allow if you hack it, if you if you decompile the app or hack the app or whatever, you can switch it on by just changing one variable in your app code or something like that, right? You want to prevent yes. that from happening. Yes, yes. And I think in that case, it's, it's quite funny. I think from the app development side, you would probably just kind of take that for granted. Like it wouldn't be something you think about. Um, because, yeah, I'll just hand that on the server because yeah. that's what I normally do and that's fine. Uh, with games when you're like, oh, uh, you know, 10 milliseconds or 30 milliseconds either way. Oh, maybe I'll just do it on the client and make the decision on the client. Mm-hmm. It'll be faster and it's fine. Who cares? Until you get to a point where um, if you read articles about the division, for example, which is very client authoritative and, and was a real problem for a long time. 
cheating was way easy. And, and you know, there were probably trade-offs they were making there where they were like, let's just get this performance working, I'm guessing. Um, but it ended up kind of biting them in the rear because people built, they decompile things. Like, I mean, the, yeah, you look at the articles around Pokemon Go about people decompiling the data that goes backwards and forwards and how everything works. Like people, you know, people jump on that stuff really quickly. Mm. Mm, interesting. You know who else is doing or getting into de- game development a little bit? A, um, Mark Drew. Oh, you knew that already. A shared friend of ours. <laughs> I want to say that actually. Yeah, Mark Drew is. And because I met him in London in October, we went to DroidCon in the UK together. Yep. And, you know, he said like, oh, you know, he's trying to get back into doing game stuff at least one day a week and blocking some time to, to do that. Yeah, he and I were hacking together at CF Objective, which was fun. Um, yeah, he was, he was emailing, he was messaging me um, in November on Twitter because uh, I, I had an interesting juxtaposition moment from 10 years ago because um, I, was, I was watching my Twitter stream and I was like, oh, this is interesting because 10 years ago I would have been in a dope max in L.A., but oh, this yeah. year mm-hmm. I'm flying. Uh, this year I'm flying to the Unite conference in LA to go to the Unity conference, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is this is kind of an interesting moment. Anyway, I was tweeting that, and Mark Drew was like, "Oh my God, is there anything that you don't do?" <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like, it was like, "Come on, man! I thought I had something to myself, and I don't anymore." I'm like, "Man, you have plenty of stuff. You're building a game. It's cool, chill." But is it, was it just, worthwhile it was just kind of flying funny. to LA from San Francisco? Wouldn't you just be able to take a train or something like that? That's like five hours or something. It's an hour flight, like. And you just get on, get off. It's it's very simple. Yeah, but with the hassle of you know going to the airport, checking in, going back from LAX to somewhere, all the security shit. Check in on the phone. Uh, so that's like dead simple. Carry on baggage only because that's how you travel. Um, I don't get TSA pre-check because I'm not an American citizen, but I get priority boarding because status. Um, worst case scenario, I go to the like I just go to the airport, have lunch, get on a plane, come back to the other side. Okay. So I, I hear that you get used to the shitty ways of traveling while playing in the US and you yeah, put up yeah, with either, all the inconveniences. Or, or call it Stockholm Syndrome. That's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> so when you come, when you go back to Aussie, and I remember you've been in Melbourne at some point this year, right? For two weeks uh, or yeah, so. I was, yeah, I've, I've actually been back to Melbourne a couple of times, but yeah. Do, do you like enjoy the, the pleasure of traveling on, you know, Qantas domestically compared to compared to domestic air travel in the US? Uh, Do you appreciate what you had and what you gave up? Let's express it that way. I don't I don't really travel domestically that much inside Australia. Um, let me think about that. I tend to fly American. It's not terrible. Um, it's okay. Like, it's travel. Like, I mean, getting on an airplane is getting on an airplane. I don't know. Well, what, what differences do you see? I don't know. I see kind of... A lot. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know where to start, to be honest, <laughs> when you ask me that question. <laughs> it's like, you know, traveling domestically in the US is kind of, from my point of view, from a passenger experience, like traveling in a third world country. That's what it feels like to me. Pretty much okay. all, all the airports in the US, international or domestically, are like shit compared to any other airport in any Western country, pretty much. Generalized a little bit, but as a general rule of thumb, that's how I feel about it, right? Like you go into into LAX, whatever, Terminal 4 American Airlines or Terminal 5 or something like that, you know, it's like, God, you know, it's a a brick made of concrete 
with like labyrinths new... of little pathways. It's just like terrible. The new in- the new international LAX is fantastic. Yes, I would agree with that. I've been to yeah. I've been through there once, like a year ago or two or something like that, and I went to um, to the new Qantas lounge in there, and that is really nice. That is nice. Agreed. So I totally agree with that. There are exceptions, like you know that one terminal, <laughs> but I mean that's not a domestic terminal. Keep that in mind as well, right? So then the whole hassle with the TSA and the endless queues um, and that whole security theater that you guys do or slash have to do in the US. It's just you know it 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 yeah. makes me yeah. it makes it actually contributes to decisions. Like, do I want to go to the U.S. or not if I have to travel domestically in the U.S.? Yep. So when was the last time you went through... No, no, no. So when was the last time you went through Israel? (laughs) Never. But, see, in Israel... (laughs) It's not security theater. Not at all. That's that's the the thing, right? Like, they do security in a a different way. And they do it actually in in a good way from my point of view. I mean, because it's layered, it has like proper professionals doing you know security work and not like a minimum wage guy who gets you know put into a uniform and has no bloody clue what they're doing yeah i had i had a lot of fun recently out when i was was in israel probably about six months ago for for a game conference and did a bunch of customer meetings some through the conference some not etc etc and um by the way israel like the uh game is uh it's fantastic conference people should go um but the funny thing was is yeah we'd we'd visited all these game companies and so like we got swag right like mm-hmm. they gave us a whole bunch of stuff which was cool and of course so i'm leaving israel and there's this terrifying probably 20 something year old israeli army woman who's who's talking to me at the border and she's like did you get any presents before you left and of course i'm like yeah totally and they were like Awkward. that's not good <laughs> And so, I, and so, instead of being in the quick line to get out of there, I was in the line where we scan everything, which was fine. I mean, they're all polite and lovely and stuff, but um, it was it was also very funny because I was traveling with like three computers, three computers, two computers, a document camera, a bunch of IoT gear, um, all kinds of stuff. So, like, I had yes, all this do. electronics for doing a variety of presentations, and so they're like. I'm like opening one bag and they're like, all right, here's all the stuff. And they're like, is, you know, is that it? And I'm like, nope, we're just getting started. Let's pull all the other stuff out too. Um, but it's good. I mean, like once you're through, you're through. But it's, that's, if you, yeah, if you haven't done that, uh, I would, I would recommend it. It's actually eye-opening and interesting. Um, yeah. And I have no issue with that. You know, I have no issue with actually a country providing a proper security check. But we yeah. all know that the TSA checks in the US are just show. Well, that's my opinion. I, you know, I understand if you don't want to comment on that. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> but for my own opinion, that's all bullshit and show, basically, to keep keep the masses kind of quiet and under control, right? Yeah. Um, you so, know what? That's, that's fair. Um, you know, it's probably one of those things I've simply internalized is the thing I have to do to get on the plane so I can go to the place. Yeah. And I go and I do the thing. That's what I find interesting, right? Like, you know, I'm still enraged about those things. But now you, after like living there for two two years, roughly, it's kind yeah. of like yeah, you know what Stockholm syndrome. That probably describes it quite yep. well. <laughs> yeah, if I can if I can get through it in fifteen minutes or twenty minutes, which I normally can, then I'm not going to care about it, and that's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I you know I like the I, I think the experience here in New Zealand and in Australia is good, and it's polite and fair. And my 
impression is the security people here are more skilled than the TSA. So that you know is a bonus, basically. So I don't find that too obtrusive. And then the other thing is basically, you know, even if you fly economy in Aussie and New Zealand, you still are treated like kind of like a human. In the US, that seems to be going away more and more, right? Like it's like it's a race to the bottom and the US airlines, the legacy carriers are winning it. Really so it's funny, I was having this conversation with some people the other day, uh, and the consen- like I fly American because one world and the status, and I, mm-hmm. we probably shouldn't get into a whole status conversation because that's probably boring for 99% of the people out there. Uh, but I mean? find how American can, people How can treat- f- people find that boring? <laughs> it's like totally interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I find, I find American, I get treated quite well on American. Um, I, don't, so, I don't see that as an issue. And, people, and the consensus was that American Airlines tends to treat their customers pretty decently. Do you still have your Quana status or did you get status with American? Yep. Yeah, so I do. Okay, so we're going down this rabbit hole. Um, so I kept my status with Qantas and so I funnel all my all my things into my Qantas status basically mm-hmm. so that when I travel home, I can fly business. Yeah. Um, the, the other fun thing that happens is because I'm gold with Qantas, I get access to the American Airlines lounge. Whereas people who are gold with American Airlines don't get access, it's a separate thing. Mm-hmm. And so I keep that as well. So I sort of forego the upgrades on American, which I don't really care about because anything under 10 hours, I don't care um, for the trips back home, basically on Qantas. Yeah, that's a fair, fair, fair strategy, I think. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. and I do, I do hotel points on my credit card now because that's just easier. Because okay. if the only Qantas credit cards that'll give me frequent flyer points I have to have an Australian account for, which is kind of useless for me here in the States. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, Qantas status is a good thing to have, you know, like if you can, you can use the Qantas lounges, which are generally really nice and awesome. Yeah. And, you know, if it gets you on, on business on those long hauls, that's usually as good as well. Okay. So we have, ooh, 10 minutes left or so. What else did we want to cover? Anything that's jumping into mind? Did Possibly we, technical. Do you want to talk about something more technical? <laughs> oh, you mean because this is a technical podcast? <laughs> Te- yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, we're two developers from down under. So uh, I don't know. I thought I'd throw that out there as a crazy idea. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, given that we didn't really have an agenda and a plan what to talk about in in the first place, I think for like, you know, for doing a podcast after a year, that's not too bad what we achieved. We talked about Kotlin <laughs> briefly and we talked about Unity a little bit. Yep. And yeah, that. We talked about conferences a little bit. That wasn't too bad. Have you got any conferences you're going to go to next year? I haven't planned planned anything yet, like firmed up planned. But I would like to go to DroidCon both in Berlin and in London again because both events were really good. Um, Different, um, but both really good. And DroidCon Germany is in Berlin. And that's, you know, Berlin as a city is kind of really nice. And I enjoy being there. And last time I I was there... I caught up with Kay. Th- oh yeah, nice. Which was fun. I think I'm going to end up spending a bit more time in Europe this year. We'll see how it happens, though. Yeah, I mean, you're not too far away, right? It's like basically one flight, and you can pre- get pr- to pretty much any European country. Which yeah, is kind of okay. Um, San Francisco to London is ten hours. Yeah. 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 So the, the both droid cons are interesting, and um, I probably would go to CF Camp again as well. That's my, you know, that's the one called Fusion Conference I kind of end up going to every year still um, because it's 
done by nice people and it's nice to see those guys. And last year, or this year actually, it really lined up nicely with DroidCon in the UK. So it was basically there you go. Um, in two subsequent weeks. So I went to see some friends in between over the weekend and then went to London for DroidCon UK. So that kind of worked out nicely. I mean, if it was like five weeks apart, I'm not quite sure how I would work that. But as long as yep. it's kind of you know, close together and I can do two, I could do two conferences in Europe in one go, that would be kind of useless, uh, useful. Cool. Uh, what? what am I up to? Uh, actually, I'm not too crazy yet. So helping host a Global Game Jam is a worldwide game jam event. Uh, so we're hosting a space here is in San like Francisco. A, is it like a 48-hour game development thing or something Pretty like much. that? Pretty much. Yeah, start on Friday, end on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're hosting a space here in San Francisco. Um, we might have some... We've got some few things that probably still announce around that, so that should be fun. Um I will be at Game Developers Conference. We're doing a bunch of stuff there. Uh, it looks like, oh, what other, what's fun stuff? It looks like we'll be doing, we'll be doing a talk of some kind. Still haven't worked out the content. Uh, I expect there's going to be a Google Mixer. There should be a Google uh, Developer Day for a variety of for stuff across Google, um, as well as a whole bunch of other things. So I'll be around at that. The week after that is the big Cloud Next uh, event. Uh, so it'll be that, which will be really interesting because it's now everything across cloud. It's not just the platform. It's kind of everything. So mm-hmm. I'm basically spending two weeks in Moscone here in San Francisco. Um, so if you're going to one, think about going to both. That could be fun. Um, giving a talk uh, at that as well. Again, game stuff. Um, it's all going to be game stuff, which is really, really fun. And I get to make games for fun. Uh, I think it, that's what, about it. I haven't, what would it I haven't take really actually to, else. to convince you or your superiors to get you to come to new zealand for like i know mini event or something like that impossible we could no not impossible um been thinking about doing some stuff in australia anyway so doing something that that included new zealand definitely not off the cards yeah because you know if if it was related in some way to be useful for android people you know we could do something on you know one of the larger android meetups here or something I do a lot of stuff around gRPC uh, for RPC calls across, and that's um, what I'm looking for. That's actually quite performant on mobile clients, works on Android, basically everything, Android, iOS, et cetera, um, and is really, really cool. That is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so heaps of stuff around that. Mobile backends, yeah, if you want to have that conversation, totally. I can do okay. That. Yeah, I'll, I'll, have a, I'll keep that in mind. Do you have uh, any plans firmed up to go to Aussie next year for holiday or something not, like that? Uh, I've got some family stuff to do, but nothing for work yet. Okay. So yeah. I'll keep you in the loop. I'll let you know. I'll that would be know. good, yes. And given that we are now trying to do this podcast like regular again, we will <laughs> pretty much like um, hear about all those plans firsthand anyway. Sounds good. All right. Uh, I think we need to wrap this up. I think I need to go. Uh, anything else you want to mention or, or fun stuff? No, not for now. Um, I've got a few more things to talk about in the next episode, particularly around like, you know, working from home and working not from home because I made a few changes Ooh, to fun. that. Nice. I like yeah. talking about remote culture. Yeah. In a, in a nutshell, I'm going, I'm working out of a co-working space a few days a week Ooh. now, which is really Teaser. Okay. Teaser yeah, for teaser. a new episode. Maybe maybe we do a remote working episode. That'd be fun. Oh, that would be interesting. And I've, I know a bunch of people who would um, potentially be able or interested in joining us as a guest for that, I think. 
Oh, yeah, that sounds yeah, like fun. Think about it. Yeah. All right, so that, that's the teaser. Um, and besides that, no, just you know, find me on Twitter as Agent K or um, ping me an email, kai at ventigocreative.co.nz if you want to get in touch. Um, and cool. that's about it for me. Sweet. You can reach me at Neurotic. I'm so close to 3,000 followers. I can taste it. Uh, so, so please famous. do follow me. <laughs> Not as famous as some of my teammates, uh, but it's just a number. I really like to reach it by the end of the year. I don't think I will, but I'd love to. Um, yeah, and I, I tweet about not just game stuff, but Go stuff and all sorts of, like, especially things around software containers. Um, or, yeah, you can reach out to me at Market Compound Theory, you know, a variety of other, other ways. Um, cool. Awesome. All right. Well, cool. Kai, let's make this more of a regular thing, and I'll see you at some point in the near future. In the new year, probably. Excellent. All right. See you then.